And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We'll be in verses 21 to 34. So Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. And so in Mark's gospel, what we've seen so far is that Jesus Christ, he is the Son of God. He is the long-awaited Messiah whom the Old Testament anticipated. He is the king who brings near the kingdom of God. And he came preaching the gospel, calling people to repent and believe and follow him. And he was also performing mighty acts which demonstrated the nearness of God's kingdom. And as he was doing this, he experienced much opposition from the religious leaders, but also his own relatives. And though he was rejected by them, he was received by others. And it's in light of his rejection that Jesus began teaching in parables concerning the kingdom of God. And so what is a parable? As stated in the last, uh, last time we were in Mark, it is a comparison, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And last time we looked at the parable of the sower, well, this morning we will look at the other parables in chapter 4. And so please stand for the reading of God's word. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said to them, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that, when sown upon the soil, is the smallest of all, seed, all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. You may be seated. And so our big idea for this morning is this. That the kingdom of God grows independently, imperceptively, and inordinately by the power of God. I'll say it again. The kingdom of God, it grows independently, imperceptibly, and inordinately by the power of God. As we get into how the kingdom of God grows, first, let's take a look at Jesus' command to heed his words. Look at chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. It says, He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? 
For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the last thing we saw was Jesus explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples. And what's happening here is that this passage actually picks back up with Jesus teaching the large crowd in parables. And he asked them a question concerning the placement of a lamp. He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? You see, lamps back then weren't like the lamps we have today. You see, we can, today we can plug in a lamp into an outlet and screw a bulb on it and it provide light. Well, back then, lamps were, they were a lighted wick in a shallow bowl of clay full of oil. Now, why would you use a lamp to provide optimum light to a darkened area? You see, it would be for the purpose of seeing what cannot be seen without light. And since the purpose of a lamp is to provide light, then where it is positioned is important. You see, you don't place a lamp under a basket, you don't place it under a bed, you don't place it under a bench, because you won't get much light there. But rather, you place it on a lampstand in order to accomplish its purpose. And look at verse 22. You see, this verse explains and clarifies what Jesus is getting at. He says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. And so in order to understand what Jesus is getting at, it's important for us to remember that in verse 11, Jesus, verse 11 of this passage, Jesus makes known that the parables are about the secret of the kingdom of God. And so what is Jesus saying? Well, he's implying what he's getting at in this part is about himself. It implies that what he's getting at is that Jesus, he is the king and the purpose of his coming And the secret of the kingdom, it has been concealed, but it will not remain concealed. You see, it is veiled, but it will not remain veiled. It's hidden now, but one day it will be revealed for all to see. You see, this secret is not intended to remain hidden. It's like wrapped Christmas gifts. You know, growing up, my mom, she used to wrap all our Christmas gifts and and place them under the Christmas tree. And the wrapping paper, what it would do is that it would veil to us what's actually the actual Christmas gift that we were to receive. And however, though the wrapping paper would veil the gift, the purpose of the wrapping paper is not to continue for the gift to remain hidden, but it was to, for the gift to remain hidden for a particular time until Christmas Day when we would open the gifts and see what's inside. You see, what was hidden will one day be uncovered. What Jesus is saying is that the secret of God's kingdom has been concealed, and it's been concealed due to their rejection of Jesus. And though it is concealed, it will not remain hidden. Just as the lamp on a lampstand brings light to a darkened room, so also Jesus, when he returns, everything that is concealed will be revealed for all to see and know. You see, no one will miss it. All will see Jesus in his glory and the kingdom of God in its fullness. It will not be hidden. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. 
You see, since everything will be revealed on that day, it's important to hear with faith what Jesus says this day. You see, in these two verses, Jesus commands the crowd to listen to him, and he actually says it twice. And in fact, this is the third and fourth time that Jesus commands this particular crowd to listen to what he's saying. You see, he wants them to really get what he's saying. And the reason is because their life, their souls, and everything depends on hearing with faith. And so he really wants them to hear him. You know, growing up, I used to hang with my partners, my homeboys, my close friends. And if they were trying to tell me something that I really needed to understand, they'd be like, Joshua, Jay Chat, hear me, bro. Like, for real, hear me and listen to what I am saying. You see, they would, ex- they would stress the importance of me heeding what they are saying. Well, what we see here is Jesus, he is saying, hear me, like for real, for real, hear me. Do not miss this, but really receive what I'm saying. Because how you hear has eternal ramifications. You see, if they received his teaching with faith, they will be saved and brought into the kingdom of God. But not only that but God would give them more in the future manifestation of the kingdom. That's what he gets at. Look at verse 25 where he says, For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. You see, Jesus is saying that present possession depends on hearing with faith. You see, receiving Jesus' teaching by faith now will result in greater understanding as we see in verses 33 and 34, where Jesus gave his disciples an after-school tutoring session and explained all of the parables. You see, they received the word, they had faith, and they sought to understand. You see, it is also, not only will they receive greater understanding, or we will receive greater understanding, but it will also result in a far richer possession when Jesus returns and brings his kingdom in its fullness. You see, but to reject his teaching will result in absolute loss on that day. It will lead to condemnation, judgment, suffering the wrath of God because they have rejected King Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God. And so hearing with faith is very important. And beloved, as we hear the word of God with faith, we have nothing, nothing to fear on that day when Jesus returns. In fact, we don't have nothing to fear, but we only have much to look forward to. You see, by faith, we possess now. We have an understanding of Christ. We have an understanding of his kingdom. And in fact, we have Christ himself. And more will be given to us on that day. So may we continue to hear his word with faith as we anticipate what is to come when Christ returns. And if you know yourself to not be a Christian, my question for you this morning is how are you hearing the word right now? You see, what is veiled in this passage is being unveiled in the preaching. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King who brings near the kingdom. 
And he came to save sinners by dying on the cross for our rebellion and resurrected from the grave three days later. And he gives salvation to all who turn from their sin and trust in him. My encouragement for you this day would be to repent of your sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will be brought into his kingdom. You see, if you trust in him on that day when he brings all things to light, you will rejoice with his people, and you won't mourn with his enemies. And that'll be the case because you've trusted in Jesus Christ and was saved by his grace. And so, friends, I would implore you to turn from your sin and trust Jesus. And so, beloved, may we heed Jesus' words. But now, let's look what Jesus says about how the kingdom of God grows. So as we turn to, we look at verses 26 through 29, it's important for us to know that this parable, this particular parable, it is unique, for it's only found in Mark's gospel. And this parable is about the kingdom of God. He says it in verse 26a, he says, the kingdom of God is like this. And since the parables are about the kingdom of God, it's good for us to discuss the kingdom of God. And so what is the kingdom, the kingdom of God? Well, it is this eschatological or end times kingdom that is breaking into this age. It is the saving rule and reign of God. You see, Jesus, he is the king who brings near the kingdom. It was inaugurated through his life, death, and resurrection. And in fact, these parables, they are about how the kingdom of God grows. Now, there are many thoughts today on how the kingdom grows or advances. Some would say that the kingdom of God, that it grows or advances through Christians doing good works, like building hospitals or educational reform or transforming cities or instituting just laws. Now, as important as these things are, That is not how the kingdom of God grows or advances. See, these things are very important, and we need Christians in all of these fields to make a godly impact for the glory of God. And so we pray for Christians to be in these fields. We need Christians in in education. We need Christians to be in politics trying to institute more just laws. And we need Christians to be building hospitals to care for citizens of cities and states and countries. But y'all, that is not how the kingdom of God grows. You see, the kingdom of God, it advances or extends, it grows through people responding to the gospel with faith and repentance. You see, when we hear the gospel and respond with faith and repentance, we are brought into the kingdom. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 will say it this way, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so the kingdom, it extends and it grows. God's rule and reign, his saving rule, it extends as people respond to the gospel with repentance and faith. That's what Jesus was getting at. He says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. You are brought in when you repent and believe. And so let's look at verses 26 through 29. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. 
he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And so, sorry, let me get some water real quick. And so in this parable, the parable of the growing seed, it is actually building on the parable of the sower. The first thing we see is that the farmer, he scatters the seed on the ground. As we saw in the previous parable, so we see it here. The farmer, he scatters the seed. And the question is, why would the farmer actually scatter the seed? It's for the purpose of reaping a harvest. You know, he's not sowing, uh, he's not sowing carelessly. He, he's not sowing just because he loves to sow, but he's sowing because he wants to reap a harvest. And as he sows, look at verse 27, where it says, He sleeps and rises night and day. You see, after he sowed, as you see what the farmer does, he goes to sleep. He wakes up. And this continues to happen. Now, as he sleeps and rises, it's important for us to know that the farmer is not being lazy. But what is happening is it's more of a business as usual. You see, the farmer knows that he is incapable of making the seed grow in and of himself. You see, it is beyond his control, and so he waits with faith. The seed, as we see, look at 28. We'll look at the rest of 27 where it says the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. And so the seed, it grows independently from the farmer's involvement. You see, the seed contains within itself the power of production. After it is sown, the seed grows. It germinates. It sprouts. And after some days, it continues to grow. But not only does it grow, but it says, although the farmer doesn't know how. You see, not only is the growth beyond the farmer's control, but it's also beyond the farmer's comprehension. You see, the seed's growth isn't dependent upon the farmer's comprehension. It just grows. The growth is slowly imperceptible. He doesn't always, the farmer doesn't always see it, and yet it grows. He doesn't always notice the growth, but the seed actually grows. And then verse 28, it says, The soil produces a crop by itself. You see, a crop is produced automatically, by itself, on its own. This production is devoid of any human involvement. And did you guys catch the, properly, the proper order, the orderly process where he says, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head? And in verse 29, we see that as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And so when the crop is ready, we see the farmer again, and he sends for the sickle, which is a tool to reap the harvest that has been produced. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God, its growth is like this. Well, how so? Well, like the farmer who has scattered the seed, Jesus came into the world sowing the seed, preaching the gospel. You see, Jesus is the ultimate farmer. 
And when he saves us, what happens is that he calls us to be farmers. And so we sow the seed. As we learned from the previous parable, the seed is the word. It is the gospel. It is a message that Jesus has come and that he has died for sins and that he was buried for three days and he resurrected from the grave. And all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus will be saved by the grace of God and will have eternal life and be brought into his kingdom. You see, this is the message that we must preach to all people. And as the farmer, as he scatters the seed, beloved, the question for us is, how are we doing in sharing the gospel? Are we sowing seeds and are we praying and searching for evangelism opportunities? Are you sharing the gospel with your coworkers? Parents, are you sharing the gospel with your children? And let me talk to the young children, older kids, teenagers. If you've believed in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in him for salvation, then you too are a farmer. You can scatter seeds among your family and friends. You see, if, you, if you're a Christian, you don't have to wait until you're an adult to begin sharing the gospel. You see, evangelism is not exclusively for Christian adults. It is for all Christians. And so you too can share Christ. If you follow Christ and you don't know how to share the gospel, I would encourage you to ask your parents to teach you how and then begin sharing. Sow those seeds. Now, just as the farmer is incapable of making the seed produce, so we're too incapable of producing conversions. You see, that's not our responsibility. As the farmer scatters the seed, we too are to faithfully sow, but we're also to be faithful in watering, but we cannot bring about growth. You see, that's what God does. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7 reads this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And see, that is what we are to do. We are to plant, we are to water, and we are to pray for God to give the growth. Now, this isn't a call to passivity. It's a call to actively evangelize, to keep on evangelizing, to pray and to keep on praying, and to trust that God will save his people. You see, we share the word, and we know that as we share that God's word doesn't return void. You see, God has promised, he said, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Yet the faith that comes from hearing, it is not our work. It's God's work as his spirit works in the hearts of his people when the gospel is proclaimed. You see, it's like, it's like how my wife and I, we, we want our children to be saved. And so we, we read God's word to them. In fact, we're, we're trying to teach our son, John 14, 6, and we pray almost twice a day that God would save our children because we recognize that we can't save our children, nor can we save any non-Christian that we're witnessing to. You see, we need God to work in the hearts of them and to grant repentance that leads to life. You see, this is humbling 
to know that we're incapable of saving anybody. And yet it is also freeing because it frees us up to be faithful in evangelism. You see, we don't grow the kingdom. We share the gospel and God grows the kingdom. You see, this recognition of God's sovereign work in the hearts of people as the word is proclaimed, it should liberate us from this desperate need to be innovative in evangelism. You see, we don't need to give a fresh presentation. We only need to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and trust that God will use his word to save his people in his timing and for his glory. You see, as we faithfully share, just as the farmer, what he did, he slept and he rose night and day, well, we too can sleep and rise night and day. You see, we don't have to be consumed with the thought of thinking of a more creative way to evangelize that would get people to believe. We don't have to try to manipulate church growth with easy believism and play on people's emotions, but rather we can faithfully preach and trust that God will save his people in his timing. And you see verse 28 says, the soil produces a crop by itself. Now, just as the soil produces a crop by itself, so God actively works in the hearts of his people when the word is sown. You see, he is the one who removes from people the heart of stone and gives the heart of flesh. He is the one who regenerates hearts, causing people to be born again. He's the one who gives the gift of faith in the regenerate that they may place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and be brought into the kingdom. You see, this is God's work, not ours. We don't grow, we only sow in water. As you see in verses 27 through 29, did you notice that the seed does not grow on the farmer's timing, but it grows on its own? You see, so too the kingdom of God does not grow on our time, but God's. You see, we can't rush God's work in growth. We are to sow water and faithfully pray and be patient. And watch what God does because it will grow as God has determined. And just as the seeds grow without the former always seeing growth, so too the kingdom of God can grow imperceptibly. You see, we don't always get to see the growth. But just because we don't see it, doesn't mean that it's not growing. You see, as we sow, God is actively at work in growing his kingdom. Jesus assures us that the kingdom of God will grow. So may we not doubt, may we not be in despair, may we not question, but may we be faithful and may we trust him. As you see in verse 29, it says, as soon as the crop will grow, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And just as the farmer sowed in order to reap, so too Jesus has sown in order to reap a harvest. You see, there will be a harvest. Jesus is not up in heaven sitting and wishing or hoping for there to be a harvest. He knows that there will be one. God will save his people through the preaching of the gospel. And so we can preach with confidence. The Apostle Paul did. 
He preached the gospel with confidence, trusting that God will save his people. Well, we too can preach with confidence, knowing that God will save his people. And in verse 29, we also see that there will be a time when the farmer, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And in the kingdom of God, it will advance. It will not cease to grow until Jesus returns and consummates his kingdom. And then, and only then, will Jesus, he will reap his harvest. You see, in verse 29, as the farmer sent for the sickle, Jesus will reap his harvest when he returns. And, and what this is alluding to is Joel chapter 3, verse 13, where it says, Swing the sickle, because the harvest is ripe. Come and trample the grapes, because the wine press is full. The wine vats overflow, because the wickedness of the nations is extreme. And so when Jesus returns, he will reap his harvest. He will gather his people, and he will judge his enemies. And so this parable of the growing seed, it places great emphasis on God's work and the growth of the kingdom of God. He does it. It grows by his power, not ours. We faithfully sow, and God grows as he is determined and as he wills according to his purpose. But then the next parable, what we're going to see is how the kingdom of God grow, and we will look at it from another angle. You see, we will see that though its beginning is insignificant, its growth will be inordinate. It will be great. Look at verses 30 to 32. It says, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. You see, Jesus, he asked a rhetorical question, and he explicitly declares that he's about to describe the kingdom of God in a parable. And he likened it to that of a mustard seed. And in fact, we see that this is the first time in chapter 4 where he specifically names a type of seed. And this is important. You see, a mustard seed, it is a very small seed. This thing is super, super, super small. Now, it's not the smallest of all seeds, though Jesus says that it's the smallest of all seeds on the ground. The question is, well, is Jesus wrong? Well, the thing is, he's speaking in Jewish hyperbole. It's a, it's, it's a Jewish proverbial saying. And so as small as it is, what he's getting at is the size of it is insignificantly small to the growth that will be inordinately large. You see, the contrast is between the size of the seed and the size of the plant when it is fully grown. Look at verses 31 and 32, which says, "...is the smallest seed of all the ground, and when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants." You see, there's a remarkable contrast between the seed and the plant. This super small seed outgrows all of the garden plants. And it's intended to shock us. So much so, it grows so much that birds of the nest can, birds can come and nest on its branches and find shade. You see, they're attracted to the shrub. 
You see, this seemingly insignificant small seed grows to a very large plant. You know, it's like when you're younger and you have that cousin who's like the same age as you, but you're way taller than them. And then years later, you don't see your cousin for a number of years, and then after you see him after a while, you, you see him again and you're like, and you look, you're confused because you're like, what happened? Like, man, I was way taller than you in one period of time, but now, like, dude, you're a giant. Well, Jesus is saying that the growth of the kingdom of God is like that. You see, as Jesus has come and inaugurated the kingdom, it seems small and insignificant. Yet it has grown and expanded and extended greatly since its inception. It, is, it has grown as the gospel has spread from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. And as people have repented and believed the gospel, it has grown from a few disciples to a people of all nations trusting in Jesus. And as you see that Jews aren't the only ones who will be saved and brought into the kingdom, but also Gentiles. This is what Jesus was getting at when he said that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. You see, this phrase, it refers back to our scripture reading in Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 23. It refers to the growth of the son of David's kingdom. You see, both Jews and Gentiles will be in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying that by the grace of God, Gentiles too will be brought into the kingdom. And as we see, did you, see, did you notice that this mustard seed... The growth didn't stop until it became a large shrub. And so just as the mustard seed didn't stop growing, so too will the kingdom of God not stop growing until Jesus returns and consummates his kingdom. You see, this parable, it teaches us a number of things. It teaches us, firstly, to not despise small beginnings. God doesn't. You see, he has willed for it to be this way. You see, he could have compared the kingdom of God to a number of things, but he has willed for the kingdom of God to begin this small and that it would grow inordinately. And since God doesn't despise small beginnings, may we not as well. May we not despise small beginnings at NBC, but rather may we praise God for what he has done at Midtown Baptist Church and may we be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and trusting that God will grow his church in his timing however he wills. And if he, doesn't, if he chooses to not grow Midtown Baptist Church in particular ways, that doesn't mean that his kingdom isn't growing. His kingdom will continue to grow. So, beloved, may we not despise small beginnings. But it also teaches us to not be in despair because the kingdom of God will grow. You see, nowadays, there's more and more talk about how the Christian faith may be on the cusp of extinction. Well, whoever has said that, they have not read this parable. You see, according to this parable, God has made known that his kingdom will continue to advance that God will continue to save his people through the preaching of the gospel. Therefore, the Christian faith is not on the cusp of extinction. You see, the Enlightenment philosopher, Voltaire, he predicted that Christianity would be extinct 
within a hundred years of his death. Well, Voltaire didn't read the parable of the mustard seed. He didn't read the parable of the growing seed. You see, God's kingdom cannot be destroyed. It will not stop growing in this life. Therefore, Christianity will never be extinct. And nowadays, we see pure research surveys saying that large percentages of people have left the church. Now, beloved, this should grieve us, but this should not lead us to despair or lose hope because God's kingdom is not shrinking. Jesus assures us that the kingdom of God will continue to advance until he returns. The church ain't shrinking. We may not see large numbers of numerical growth, but rest assured that God is actively at work in advancing his kingdom, and he is saving his people through the preaching of the gospel. You see, King Jesus, he is still on the throne, and his reign is still extending as people repent and believe the gospel. You see, the kingdom is growing and it will continue to grow inordinately. The kingdom of God will fill the whole earth one day. You see, when Jesus returns, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as water covers the sea. And so, beloved, may we not lose hope. The kingdom of God is growing. It is advancing. It is extending and expanding. May we be faithful in evangelizing, and may we trust that God will save his people and that his kingdom will advance and continue to advance until Christ returns. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, God, you are faithful. And you are faithful to bring it to completion the work that you started, as your son has come and inaugurated the kingdom, it will not be shaken, it will not be destroyed, it will not shrink, but it will advance and continue to advance by your grace, for your glory, through your power, all the way until your son returns. And so, Lord, may we go and may we share Christ with confidence. And may we long for the day where he returns and consummates his kingdom, where he brings the kingdom in its fullness, where we'll be with him for all of eternity. Oh, God, you are so faithful. But may we rest assured knowing that he will do this, that your son will return. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so in light of the preaching as we heard about how God's kingdom will continue to advance and how the church will not be destroyed, it's only right that we respond to the preaching with the singing of the hymn, O Church of Christ Invincible. And so please stand for our final hymn.